0: Hey, everybody, this is Shane Douglas Keen, and I am with my partner, Rich Duncan. We are here today talking with John F.D. Taff about book one of his novel, The Fearing Fire and Rain.
1: How are you guys doing tonight? Good. How are you, John? I am doing well. Went to the doctor early this week and was told that I could start putting weight on my leg in about a month. So. Ah, that's excellent news. I know my wife is thrilled.
0: (laughs) I bet. You get up off your ass and do something for yourself. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Can you please get your own lunch and take yourself to the bathroom?
0: (laughs) How are you doing, Rich?
1: I'm
2: doing pretty good. I found a new recording location, so that's always good. Right. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, I'm sitting here looking at I. Rich probably doesn't want me to tell anybody, but I'm about <laughs> to tell everybody. I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here looking at this document that Rich created yeah. while he was <laughs> while he was rereading the book yesterday. Um, and Rich is a curious motherfucker, so,
1: <laughs> that's good. Um, well, it is you know,
0: good. That's the only way this is going to work. Absolutely. But that said, I'm going to let Rich lead off with uh, interrogating you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's
2: funny he said that because I went through and I read it a second time, which I recommend a lot of people do because you know, I picked up on a lot of different stuff that I think my excitement over reading it for the first time I didn't really catch. Right. But um since we since you started the book with Adam, I figured we could start there because you know, it says the end it began with Adam. Right. Uh, and I was just curious because it kind of says the end, so you're kind of almost starting at the end, even though it's not the end of the story. You're right. letting reader know the reader know right off the bat where this is going. And I was just curious how that how you came up with that idea. To, you know, start at the end, just telling readers right off the bat, look, the end starts with this character.
1: Well, even before I had the idea for the story in mind. Um, I, you know, I had this artistic idea of wanting to flip the the, the telling of a story on its ear and start with the end and work myself back to, you know, once upon a time. So that had been, you know, boiling around in my mind for some time. And when I got, uh, when this idea gelled for this and when it really became apparent that this was going to be the piece that I was going to be working on for a while, uh, you know, I, I always I try to tell people uh, new authors or authors who are trying their hand at, at fiction writing for the first time. It's it's good to jam some seemingly disparate ideas together. Um, those sometimes seem to generate a lot of the, the conflict that you need to really tell a good story. And so, you know, having in mind this was going to be an apocalyptic tale. um and 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 having in mind also that I wanted to I wanted to really get it in there early and not lay, a, you know, a huge bunch of groundwork up front that people were going to have to wade through to get to the story. I wanted to let you know right off the bat, you know, this is this is what's coming. Um so when we did, you know, in the early part of putting the book together, I did have to rearrange uh, some of the sto- some of the chapters up front, because the way it was originally written, it was really apparent that people who were reading it thought that that Adam was going to be the main character, the protagonist when he is not <laughs> he is the antagonist. So yeah. we rearranged some stuff, uh, some chapters. Uh, moving stuff into the first part that may have been in the second part originally, and we've done that down the line too. I've moved some, we've moved some stuff up from part three, book three, into book two, for kind of the same reason, you know. Um, so yeah, it was it was really important for me to start with a bang. It was really important for me to start off with the idea that this is leading to something big, but I also didn't want people to get the wrong impression to think that you know, they were going to re- be reading, uh, you know, 550 pages of Adam as the main character.
0: Um, yeah, and I I, can, I think that actually gives the story a lot more impact, because you kind okay. of, in the first six pages, um, we know right out the gate, there's no way in hell this guy is your protagonist.
1: <laughs> well, glad, glad that worked.
0: Um, yeah, it worked very well. Uh, Adam is a terrifying character, and he becomes so... In, a very short amount of time
1: yeah and i think that as you get deeper into the story you're gonna obviously you're gonna know a lot more about who adam is and what he represents and what he's doing and i my hope is at least that that's going to make him even more chilling of a, of a character
0: um right which kind of addresses one of the things that rich brought up um is that In this first book, there is very little backstory going on here. There's a lot of forward motion going on here, Mm -hmm. and it creates this impetus that just jams you into the book and through the book really fast.
1: Yeah, I know that um, I knew early on when I was putting the story together that it was kind of going to be – it was kind of sprawl, for lack of a better word. There was going to be a lot of characters. There was going to be a lot of territory covered. There were a lot of big ideas. And I thought, you know, the book is going to be big enough that I don't want to spend a huge amount of time going over stuff that I didn't think was directly germane to the story. I thought I could go ahead and establish character um, with more of a shorthand and, and what was going on in the moment rather than telling backstories of, of stuff that really wasn't useful to the story. So I still think that was a good decision. It, it The book was still big, you know, it, it, you know, it ended up being over 500 pages, um, which again, as anybody who's heard me talk about this book scared off a lot of the, uh, the bigger publishers. Um, Cause I wasn't, I was told I wasn't a big enough name to carry a book, a book of this size. Um So I, you know, I think if I had added all that stuff, which I could have done, the book would have just been really unwieldy and big just for the sake of it being big. And and uh, I don't think I don't think it needed that.
0: Uh, I think that um, Josh Mailerman and Robert McCammon think that you're a big enough author to pull it off.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If only they were buying books. No, I know. And, you know, I'm insanely, um, I'm insanely appreciative of the reaction. I mean, if you've gotten book one by now, you know that the introduction to the book was written by Ray Garten, who is uh, and has been for a long time, one of my writing idols. And I've gotten to know Ray a little and uh, we chat fairly often. And he agreed to write the uh, the intro for the book, which is was phenomenal. And then, you know, I've been friends with Josh for a couple of years now. And, you know, he was kind enough to read an early draft of the story and really loved it. And uh, I bumped into Robert McCammon at the StokerCon, which just passed. Totally a random, you know, uh, Brian Kirk and I were wandering around semi drunk at about midnight through the hotel. and We turned a corner and there he was sitting there by himself and brian brian who's never met a stranger in his life um you know he he went up to him and said hello and introduced himself and introduced me and then and then brian disappeared and there i was with robert mccannon at about midnight in this hotel and we sat and talked for an hour and he was he was lovely i mean (laughs) he was everything that you would hope meeting a writer that stature would be when you meet him it was it was terrific
2: yeah, and that's that's pretty cool, and I think that's one of the cool things about, you know, all these cons that we have, like Stoker Con and, yeah. you know, all the other ones, is that authors who may, you know, correspond with each other, you know, via Twitter or Facebook right. or emails, they get to meet face-to-face. And I feel like a lot of cool ideas in the horror community have come out of, you know, those sort of meetings, like chance meetings that you, know, yes. you might not have otherwise met Robert
1: Yeah, and I agree. And one thing that I've noticed that's, you know, totally off subject, but, you know, everybody that I've ever met in the horror community is extremely approachable. I have yet to meet a dick in the horror community. Um, Everybody is super approachable, very friendly, very supportive. It's just a great community to be be a part of.
2: Yeah, and um, to go back to touch on uh, Adam a little bit. I'm, it's going to be very light spoilers because it happens within the first couple of pages. Right. I found it was interesting, got also going with his, like, in maybe intentional vague history, is that it kind of seems like when he interacts, you know, with that first person at the diner and the stuff that follows afterwards... I just thought it was interesting because it seems like he was always afraid. And yet when this scene was unfolding, to me at least, it kind of seemed familiar to him. What, Almost like he knew that that would happen because he was studying her so closely. And, you know, without getting into spoilers for maybe later installments, I was just wondering if that was intentional to make it vague. Like, the, even though this guy comes across as very terrified... Is he somewhat aware of,
1: you know, his capabilities, so to speak? I, I think that without getting too much into the guts of who he is and what his role is in the story, mm-hmm. it's, it's safe to say that he is someone at the beginning of the story who doesn't quite know what his place is in the, in the story and what's going on. But as the ball continues to roll downhill and gather moss, he becomes aware. Awesome. Yeah, I think and, uh, that I think that as you get into book two, you will see that he is definitely he is beginning to to realize what is going on and what his role in it is.
0: So he becomes like more of an active antagonist. And-
1: yeah, the, this first part was really more to establish him and what was going on. The second part really looks at this book, too, really looks at really what's going on and and who who the poles of power are, I guess. Yeah, and I can't wait
2: not only for book two, but as we do more of these episodes, because. I don't want to potentially give something away. I might not even be on the right track. But as I was reading this a second time, and I was noticing some little clues, I started to formulate some ideas on, you right. know, what I, who I thought Adam was, and possibly what could be going on with him. So mm-hmm. I can't wait until we can dive into <laughs> that more.
1: Yeah, and I can't wait to talk with you about it. <laughs> but now that won't be tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, yeah, because even we don't know what the hell goes on next as far as that goes. Right, right. Um, interesting thing, though, you talked about getting the ball rolling. And um, in this first book, and if this is, you know, over the top telling too much, just let me know. Mm-hmm. Um, in this first book, you roll that ball from the East Coast to the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And you kind of repeat that cycle. Um, Over and over again, um, which keeps the pace and the momentum going really well. But another thing I noticed is that the fears that you pull out
1: are regional.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Is that intentional?
1: I think that without again, without giving away too much, and I don't think I'm giving away too much, but the way that this is all. Structured, And this will be, again, become much more apparent in book two, is uh, the mechanism that's sort of underlying all of this is moving from kind of the bigger, more general fears that maybe a lot of people share to more individualized fears. So the book I knew had to start off with, you know, it wasn't just. A, a question of starting off the book with some big bangs to keep people's attention. It kind of fits with the way the story is going to unfold. Does that make sense?
0: Um, yeah, it does. It makes sense. And it's
1: also very
0: intriguing. Um, and, uh, okay. So where the hell is this thing going? Sort of way.
1: Right. Um, you know, my attitude was to these bigger fears, obviously fears like, um, And, you know, we're going to get into spoiler territory here for book one. But, um, you know, the stuff like the or the earthquakes, the the nuclear bomb, um, these are big fears. These are fears that are shared by a lot of people. So I I thought that the way that the story is going to unfold, that those are the fears that you had to start off with. And that as we, you know. Play those out and we move that off the table and we move those people off the table too. Um, we're going to be really the focus will be getting narrow and narrower down to, you know, really specific fears that people have.
2: Yeah, and that's that's very interesting. And that also ties into something else that we were talking about and that I thought of when I read this again is I thought it was interesting how you took those, you know, bigger, widespread fears, Mm -hmm. and we kind of see that get narrower and narrower. And I also thought it was cool how he took those recognizable ones, but then, you know, especially towards the end, we got some, like, really interesting scenes of stuff that you don't really see much Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I won't go into the big one, but I think you know which uh, <laughs> one I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, probably. It plays in the Wanda's fears. but yes. Like, even something like the woman that the uh, kids saw, I would yeah. have never in a million years thought that that would be a fear or something that could be terrifying because they mm-hmm. seem pretty harmless. But I just thought that was awesome.
1: Well, that's a, you know, that's a good illustration of how everything, you know, as a writer, everything you, you hear about every person you bump into, um, sort of becomes part of a story at some point. And I've got a niece who's very afraid of that. (laughs) Um, I guess I, I won't go ahead and spoil the specific thing, but she's very afraid of that. So I wanted to weave that in, um, to that, and you know, there there are a couple of things throughout the book that are fears of particular people that I know that that I've tried to weave in, and and really this, you know, I've joked about it for a while, but this really is my sort of master's thesis in fear uh, in horror stories. It's everything in the kitchen sink in this. I've just you know <laughs> back shoveled everything into this, and even if it's just, you know, there are certain horror tropes that I've mentioned that I will have mentioned in the book in in different places. I may not have covered them uh, extensively, but I've at least given people a kind of a a nodding wink to them. So I think there's a lot of those kind of little things to, uh, to find within the pages of the story, which, and I'm glad that you, uh, you know, I'm glad that you're noticing that.
2: Yeah. And um, too, I thought, you know, that, that was interesting, but I also thought from a writing perspective, you know, as a horror author, that's got to be kind of fun and maybe even a little scary, especially if you put some of yourself into any of these particular characters, but to be able to explore such a wide range of fear and, you know, different, uh, I guess I want to say, like, influences of fear... That that had to be something that made you excited when you started writing this, because it pretty much opens up a very vast amount of things you could make some really cool scenes
1: out of. Yeah, it's it's and I agree with you. It, it is. But on the other the other side of that coin is that it's very it can be very daunting. The way that I approach this is very daunting because you just don't want I, I really knew early on that this could suffer from becoming just a litany of horror tropes all strung together into this kind of story. And I didn't want that. I didn't want it to just become a, Oh, you know, Oh, there's the werewolves. Now he's talking about where, and Oh, now we got to zombies and Oh, you know, I didn't want that. So I was, I was very aware of that at the beginning of the story. And I think also as a horror writer, just in general, um, You have to know. I think you have to know what you're afraid of um, pretty intimately, and you have to you have to know why you're afraid of the things that you're afraid of, and you have to know what those things do to you to make you afraid to be able to to sit down uh, at a keyboard and write about what other people are afraid of. So uh, I'm pretty aware uh, the things I'm afraid of. I, you know, I think I've talked before about my, uh, I have a pretty, pretty healthy fear of true crime stuff. Um, a couple months ago, I was well, about six months ago. I was debating about whether or not to get the book. I'll be gone in the dark by Michelle McNamara, who was, uh, Patton Oswalt's wife who passed away. Uh, and she had written a book about the, uh, golden state killer. And I knew, you know, the book was, uh, getting all sorts of acclaim and everything because right after the book was published, they actually caught the guy. Um, and I wanted to read it, but I knew it would scare the shit out of me. And so I debated about it for several months. And then I finally thought you cannot possibly sit there and be afraid to get a book that you know is going to scare you when you're a goddamn horror writer. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I broke down and bought the book and it did, it scared the hell out of me. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I think that that's a good thing. And I, and I do think that there's a whole lot of, in this book, there's a whole lot of stuff that I weaved in about, it's about, not just about scaring people and what scares you and why it scares you, but how do you deal with that? How do you deal with fears? I think that that is kind of a central message that I think as you, you know, get further into the story, I think that that will come out, uh, in a big way.
0: And really that comes through, um, like with your characters, your characters are all the type of people for the most part who would survive in situations like this. Um, for the same reason that you mentioned yourself, have, your self-awareness makes you kind of intuitive when it comes mm-hmm. to other people's fears. Um, your characters are, are very intuitive. And they figure out certain things that are going on and and how certain things are working and they start to work around that. Yeah. And and someone who wasn't as intuitive as as them would just fucking die.
1: Yeah. And I think, again, again, without really giving out too many spoilers, I think that you're going to see as you progress in the story why these people are left. Yeah,
2: and that's what I was going to say, is um, you can kind of see what you are going for, even in this first book, in little instances as these things are starting to happen to them. Like, I'm sure there's some stuff that is yet to be seen with some of the characters, but Mm -hmm. even early on, you can kind of see certain characters are, I guess, better equipped to deal with, with the situation that they're in so i think that's interesting because you can already see the early branches of where you want these characters to go and how they might respond to this situation yeah and um that the other thing i wanted to touch on too and it kind of ties into you know the regional thing and stuff like that I thought it was interesting that a lot of, you know, apocalyptic stories, they always focus on, you know, like New York or California or, you know, big major areas. And I know that like St. Louis and stuff is too, but at least I haven't seen too much that deals with the Midwest. And I was just curious because I know you're from Missouri is how much of like your personal experiences and places that you, may have gone to influence you know
1: building the town of I think it's called Kennerly yeah I think Kennerly basically just stands in for me for any sort of midwestern slash Missouri town small town I mean I, I as anybody who's read my stuff knows that I have a pretty soft spot in my heart for small town America um, and I think that I read far too much about Stuff That is set on either coast and not a lot of stuff that's set in the Midwest. So what I wanted to do is I, you know, start off the story on the coast because, you know, in, the stuff that I had going on at the beginning of the story is kind of coastal. You know, yeah. it's kind of, you're kind of thinking the one thing is going to happen on the West Coast. The other thing would probably likely happen on the East Coast. But I think you will see, again, as you move further into the books, the story goes to the heartland of the United States for the, you know, for the better part of the story and for the, you know, the uh, resolution of the conflict, it's all going to take place at the heart of the country. Um, There are some bigger things happening that you'll begin to see in book two and book three that uh, will sort of you know, force that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it was really important to me to get away from the coast because, you know, I I know more about the Midwest and I can write more about being in those places and what, you know, what the people like uh, are like in those places. And it's just a comfort zone level with me as an author. So.
2: Yeah. And like you said, I think it's I think it's cool that it's kind of centered around that because you don't really see that too much. But um, the other thing is, excuse me, is um, we meet those characters and it's, you know, Sarah, she's kind of, you know, like a brave one because she, you wouldn't think so because she's described kind of as like an average, you know, wallflower type early on. Mm -hmm. And then you have the school jock and then you have, Kyle, and then you have Carly, who is just a terrible, terrible person <laughs> early on. And I was just curious, like, you kind of have that dynamic, and then you have the dynamic with, you know, the couple, they're a little bit older, mm-hmm. and I thought it was interesting on how each of them approach it, and I was just curious, because you don't really see too many older characters in horror. It almost seems like they're either like Mm middle-aged or like a coming-of-age tale. I was just curious on, you know, how you wanted to play on that dynamic, like showing such a wide range of age.
1: I think it was important for me as an author to write, as I was writing this, to be diverse, but not in in a way that I would be just like ticking boxes off. Um, And I know that, you know, what is becoming nearer and dearer to my heart is uh, older adults, because I am indeed an older adult. Um, And you're right. I think a lot of horror is slanted toward uh, teenagers and young adults. uh, In particular kind of situations that are that are kind of unique to, to that age group. And, you know, and I know I wanted to touch on that, but I know that I didn't want that to be the overriding um, audience uh, of characters in the book. So, you know, I think I've, you know, I think I've got the older adults, the younger adults. Um, I think, yeah, you're going to see how they are approaching the problems differently. And uh you know, what happens when all these people ultimately come together? Well, perhaps not all of them without getting too spoilery, but yeah, it was important to me to be able to be, you know, representative in, in who I and what characters survive all this and go on to do other things. So, uh, It was a conscious thought. Um, And
0: you keep an interesting group dynamic going on there with each of these two groups you've got going in this in this first book. You know, um, they all seem to play off each other so perfectly.
1: Well, I tried to, you know, character is very important to me, Uh, again, hopefully, as anybody who's read my other work has known you know characters are a pretty important thing for me and i really want you to identify with these people and i want you to identify with the relationships that we have with the other characters and to be interested in that because you know hopefully you know also from reading my stuff that eventually i'm going to kick the shit out of these characters and i people want to are going to fucking it. suffer yeah. <laughs> and i i want you to care about that and And I think you will. I think that as you get into the story, there are going to be things that are going to be happening that you're not going to be particularly thrilled with me about. Uh, Yeah, Um, I I already have favorites that I'm seeing here. It's like, Um, don't
0: fuck fuck with her, um, Taff.
1: Yeah, well, we can't get into that, (laughs) but (laughs) suffice it to say, it's an apocalyptic story. Some people are going to die. (laughs) <laughs> so uh but yeah it, it's important to me to for you to care about these people and it's such a you know i'm thinking it's such a broad spectrum of people who like my work and who like horror that you have to see that reflected somewhat in this in the story so you know i tried i i know that uh, i saw one review online now that you know that the they Whoever reviewed it, and I can't remember where this was, but they thought the um, the dynamic between Carly, Sarah and Kyle was a little too cliched. But shit, I mean, it's it might be cliched, but it's cliche for a reason. Who hasn't gone to high school with the jocks, uh, the people who are in and the people who are out? I mean, that seems like an eternal to me. Um, and I did think about it as I was writing it, but I just thought, hell, this you know, this stuff happens. It happened when I was a kid. It happens today. So.
0: And it happened when I exactly. was a kid. Um, it happens to everybody. You're right about that. I literally quit high school because of people like Carly. Well,
1: you know. yeah. She, <laughs> she's not a favorite of mine, but um, Carly's going to go through some shit of her own.
0: Um, and I won't say anything about that because i would <laughs> be developing an attitude early on. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of funny you say that because while I I do think Carly's terrible, maybe I could be off base. Like I just have a feeling that it's kind of even too early. Like when they said it was cliched, like everyone has mm-hmm. their pin has their opinion on things, but I think it's still so early on, you know they're just now entering this fearing. And I have a feeling that as the story progresses, these characters are going to change a lot. And maybe there's a reason Carly is the way that she is. And, you know, maybe she'll evolve into something more throughout the story from just, you know, being mean to everybody.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think that, you know, it's, it's easy to jump on somebody like that. Um, uh, and not uh, not be appreciative of the journey that the character is going to go on, and the things that are ultimately going to happen to that character. So.
0: Yeah, because and yeah, that's all I'll
1: say about that.
0: Yeah, because <laughs> basically, I mean, it's important to keep in mind that this is a complete book, but it is not yet a complete story. Exactly. And if you keep that in sight, then you, I don't think you uh, take as much not really negative away from it, but.
1: Right. Yeah, Yeah. I I think you're exactly right that, that, you know, if this was a complete book, you know, if this was a complete book, one big, you know, phone book size book, we wouldn't have moved certain chapters around between the individual books because you would have been able to just sit down and read and it wouldn't really have mattered but since we are splitting this book up kind of artificially and you're only going to be able to read a chunk and then you're going to have to wait six months before you get the rest. We thought, mm, you know, some of these things we probably need to move around so as we don't literally make readers crazy. <laughs> um, you know, I think the stuff that we moved into book one uh, and the stuff that we have moved into book two um, Will prevent you from closing the book, hopefully, and saying, "I can't believe he left us on this note. I can't believe he left. You know, what about this? What about that? What about this? I can't wait six weeks. Ah! Um, you'll get a, you'll get some of that because that's the nature of serial, you know, books. But we wanted to mitigate that as much as we could.
2: Yeah, and I think you guys did a perfect, a perfect ending for this first one, especially, um, you know, with how everything ended. It was a very cinematic scene, and I think it the sets the tone. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait, and <laughs> you know, it's. I think. It's so interesting, because I know a lot of your work, it's very character-driven, and I Mm -hmm. think that's where that King of Pain moniker came from. And even somebody, you know, we talked about Carly, which right now she's kind of just mean, but circling Mm -hmm. back even to Adam, I thought it was an interesting dynamic that, you know, in a lot of apocalyptic fiction, it's either, you know, a big monster, and, you know, that it is what it is, or you have a person who's got their own evil thing and they're automatically seen as you know evil strong i thought it was an interesting take to take a guy who you know went from a position of weakness who earl like the first page we pretty much see this guy who's afraid to leave his house and watching him evolve into you know a stronger person his fears are still there but he kind of draws his power from that which i think is an interesting flip on, you know, traditional antagonists in that particular subgenre.
1: Well, I wanted you to have some sympathy with Adam, at least in the early parts, because like I said, he doesn't know exactly what he's going on and what his role in it is. You know, as this progresses and has as he becomes more aware of who he is and what his role is in all of this, you're probably likely gonna have <laughs> less sympathy for him but i thought it was important at least you know for the for the underlying structure of the story which you'll get more in the next book and more in the the succeeding books i i thought it was important to lay in a little bit of sympathy for him not a lot but a little bit some
0: humanity basically yeah um because yeah you don't want him to sit Seem like this godlike figure, really, but uh, you don't want him to seem like someone that you'd like to have a beer with either.
1: Right. And, and I think that, you know, one of the problems I have with a lot of um, science fiction and horror movies that have a villain is when you have this villain who is this kind of amorphous, vague thing. Um, and, you know, the only thing that is popping into my mind right now as an illustration of that is the uh, last of the, the original group of Fantastic Four movies uh, that were made, I don't know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, where they tried to bring in Galactus and Galactus was this just big cloud of gas that attacked the planet. And I thought, wow, you have taken one of Marvel's biggest villains and you've reduced him to a cloud of gas. Uh, How can you really how can a person who's watching that movie get any sense of what kind of danger this villain is when it's a cloud of gas? Um, And I knew that because of the underlying idea behind the book, that there was a danger of, of me sliding into that. So I really wanted to personify what was going on in the book. And I can't really say too much more than that, but you'll see hopefully you'll see that as you go. Deeper into the the story, yeah. And without
2: getting too far in the spoiler territory as well, I think it's interesting that you took that approach on making him human, because it kind of, like I said, you see him almost as scared to leave his house, and you have some sympathy for him. And I Mm -hmm. think that really helps drive the tension of when this, you know, crazy stuff starts happening. Yeah, because you're not really aware of you know what's coming whereas in some other things you know you automatically when you meet the person like an antagonist you kind of already know what they're capable of and not really knowing much about him and having that humanity it almost it doesn't prepare you for what's going to happen so it makes that that much stronger when it finally starts ramping up
1: yeah I you know, and I guess this is a good point for me to say that when I went into this story, there were two important things uh that I wanted to make sure that I did, which was I wanted to tell this big idea, but I didn't i well, there were two things I didn't want to do the your typical apocalyptic uh story that involved. You know, uh, a nuclear holocaust or a, a vac, you know, a virus or, you know, something like that. Cause that's kind of been done to death. Now, you know, I took parts of that and put it in my story, but that's not the story. Um, the other thing was, and it was really important to me, and I hope that nobody is going to take this the wrong way, but I didn't want it to have any religious overtones. Um, it was really important to me. You know, one of the things that I really hated about the stand was the end (laughs) where you you had this literal hand of God that comes down and saves the day. And I didn't want to do that um, for a lot of reasons. It has nothing to do with the way I feel about God or religion or anything else. But I I just didn't want to have that kind of apocalyptic story. So uh, I think that as you get. Further into the story, you'll see kind of what I'm talking about there. But those were two really big uh, things that I wanted to avoid telling well, the story.
0: I think you would have destroyed the story had you not avoided those things, because you would have had a lot of people, um, me included, going, "Well, he's, <laughs> just, he's just fucking ripping off the stand. Right.
1: Right. Exactly. And and I know that you know. The, this book, as a, as a total, is already generating a lot of, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's like The Stand or it's like Swan Song, and it is. In the in the fact that, you know, it's another large apocalyptic book, but you know, it it doesn't deal with this uh, end of the world. I don't think like any other book has been done. So that was uh, the intent.
0: Yeah, not not even not even remotely. You pulled that off, I think. Um, And I mean, yet every apocalyptic novel is going to seem like it's kind of like those other apocalyptic novels because, hey, they're apocalyptic novels, too. Right. But it's a totally different story.
1: Well, and that was, you know, one of the reasons that I really wanted to stay away from those two areas is because it was important to me as readers get into the story, you don't know what's coming. You can't read. I'm hoping that, that no one can go into the fearing and say, well, I know exactly where this is going because this is like, you know, this is sort of like what happened in the stand or this is what happened in Swan song or blah, blah, blah. blah. It, it isn't. And it doesn't. So I'm pretty comfortable right here, even with you two thinking, to myself they don't know where the story's going which is great and I don't think you do and I think that's wonderful that's what I want and hopefully that's what readers will want you know as they're reading the book that they they don't know where the story's going
0: um, yeah, and I think that's probably, just from talking to us today, you probably, it's probably readily evident to
1: you that we don't <laughs> know where the hell the
0: story's going. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: you know, that could be a really good thing, and it could be a really bad thing, but I think it's a really good thing. Is, yeah, I, I think, agree.
0: I think what's great is is that what you've caused there for me is um, my you spark my imagination, and I have so many ideas about where the hell this story could go. Mm-hmm all of them wrong i'm sure but (laughs) but it keeps it keeps those creative juices flowing in your readers too and that's what keeps readers interested in writers really
1: yeah hopefully that'll be the case and you know i've started to get out there and promote book two now that now that uh gray matter has uh up for pre-order um and what i've been saying what i've been using as a tagline when i promote it is, it's going to get so much worse (laughs) Yeah,
2: and, um, you know, it's I agree with everything Shane said. That's exactly how I took it. And I've seen, you know, just through going through Twitter, people talking about this book. And I think that's what's really cool about the general concept of the story and kind of how you framed it is that it keeps people engaged. And there's so many possibilities Mm -hmm. that they're like. I have all kinds of my own wild theories. Like I said, I wasn't going to throw them out there just yet. But, yeah, I've seen people talking about it, and I'm sure they have ideas. And you're right. um, I know you said you didn't want people to go into it knowing where it's going. And I think you succeeded in that without, you know, making it too wide open. Like, people probably have a general sense that, like you said, it's going to get a whole lot worse. But it also is open enough that they can kind
1: of come up with their own things about it yeah the danger you know and what i worry about this thing being a a serialized book is that okay well you're not leading people in a direction they think they're going but hopefully the direction you're leading them in is something they're interested in (laughs) you know yeah
2: yeah, I think it, I think you succeeded on both because I, I definitely get the feel that there is a concrete direction to the story.
1: But it's there also
2: is. something where, like you said, it's something they want to keep reading because that was the other thing that I wanted to touch on. Even though the shorter format, I know you've talked about this in the past, too, about mm-hmm. like novellas. And these are kind of about that length, individual right. novellas, yeah. that helps the pace. But also you establish right from the very first chapter, there's action scene. There's tons of action scenes, but it's not, you know, totally over the top and in your face. But there's strategic points where, you know, there's some really big action scenes. And I think that really keeps readers
1: hooked on it, too. Yeah, obviously, when you've got this kind of a idea of this, you know, multi-level kind of apocalyptic thing going on. Y- you've got to let the readers have their, you know, have their little, the cake of, you know, the descriptions about all the horrible things that are going on, but you've got to give also the characters the time to process all this. So the reader can process it all. So there has to be breathers, you know, built into this. And, and you know, I think, the way that we've shifted chapters around and move things around, I think that that, you know, I'm glad to hear that that's working, that, you know, we've got the action, we've got the hook, but we've also got some time in there for you to catch your breath and and kind of think along with the characters about what does this mean? What's going on in, in sort of the bigger picture? Um, right, you, oh, sorry. No, go
0: ahead. Uh, I was just going to say you kind of, ramp up the tension and the suspense pretty tight, you know, and wind your reader up and then you give them a a few minutes to take a breath Mm -hmm. um, before you turn around and slam them against the wall a few more times. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's hopefully by design. (laughs)
0: Um, Yeah, that's, it's, (laughs) um, it's actually pretty obviously by design, I think. Yes. Sorry, my my mic was having issues there for a second. Um, That's it's okay. not, hey,
1: it's live.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's the, at least this time it was the mic that was being an amateur and not Shane.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I do have my mic set so that even if I talk to the window, you can hear me now. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> let's,
1: let's not have another repeat of that. <laughs> so...
0: Um, Rich, uh, anything else from you? Uh, yeah,
2: I, I kind of touched on this and you kind of touched on this with the last one, but I know that you're a big fan of, you know, the shorter formats. And even though this is a big work and it's all interconnected, Uh I was wondering if your love for that short form also played a part in the serialization. And what, too, I thought it was interesting is that this whole book, it reads as a complete story but also not it allows for more stuff which i thought was probably a tricky balance for you guys to find like it has a definite
1: beginning middle and end Mm -hmm. without you know
2: being too closed
1: off yeah and i think that as we looked at how to split this thing up we didn't go into it with any thought that, you know, okay, well, this has got to be four books or two books or three books. It was just like, how can we, you know, it was Tony's idea to split it up serially. And, but, you know, he was like, okay, how do we do this? How do we, how do we figure out where the, you know, the story rhythms are and where to begin and end each part. And so, you know, we both really kind of got in there and, you know, well, what if we move this chapter up here and uh, this chapter back here, and you know, we end this part here, we end this part here. So there was a lot of work that went into it. Um, you know, it's not that each book is going to. I think the first part kind of stands alone as almost a almost a self contained novella. Uh, the rest of the parts, you know, I think as you you know get into book two and book three, you're going to see that, yeah, there's definitely a rhythm to each one of these that is different and there is actually a beginning, a middle and an end to each part, but it's, you know, definitely now part of a, of, of a bigger story. Um, yeah, so there was, there was, there was a good deal of work that went into that. Did I lose you? Ooh, I was just going to go. We, no.
0: we, you know, we did this with Hunter Shea last time, too, where all of a sudden there's this long
2: broken silence. No, that was my fault. I, to try and cut down on, you know, I had myself muted and I forgot to hit it. But uh, I had a question that popped into my mind um, going back to sort of the overall theme of this book. Mm-hmm. If by some sort of, you know, weird coincidence, you found yourself... You know, face to face with Adam and in this world, you know, what what would
1: come for John Taff? What sort of fear? Yeah. Oh, good God. Um, you know, that that uh, the thing that just seems right on the surface for me is. You know, laying in bed at night and after having read some, you know, really horrific crime book or watching Dateline on TV or something and and just listening to every click and pop and, you know, noise in your house and thinking that somebody's in your house, you know, ready to get you and, you know, slit your throat and skin you and string you up or whatever, you know, that really does it for me. I, I don't tend to get as wound up personally about supernatural stuff. Um, although I've got to tell you, electronic voice phenomena creeps me the fuck out. Um, if you know what that is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That, that's there's, there's some me, scary ones. Oh yeah. <laughs> that makes uh, my that, hair stand on end. Yeah. That stuff is terrifying, but you know, it's, it's really the true, you know, having somebody in your house that really, doesn't have your best interests at heart. Um, that really, that really does it for me. That really scares the, the crap out of me. Um, so that would probably be, that would probably be it. Just... Fortunately, oh.
0: you've got those killer pugs. So. Oh
1: yeah, <laughs> they'd, uh, they'd knock him down and, and lick him to death. <laughs> that's about all they're good for. That, that's about all they're good for, unless they want to trip them coming down the steps and have them break their femur. That'd work.
0: Yeah, I, so I'm glad you brought up the breaking femur this time instead of me. I felt bad about that last <laughs> night. <laughs> T- Tony Rivera was pleased with it, so I got
1: points for that. <laughs> go. Got to keep Tony happy. And just oh, yeah. out of curiosity... Oh, uh-huh. oh, go ahead. Oh,
2: I'm sorry. Go ahead, Rich. I was just going to ask, just out of curiosity, would... uh.
0: What fear would come for you, Shane? Uh, See, and I was just going to do the same thing with you. Um, (laughs) For me, uh, and I hope you don't mind I bring up someone else's book, but Mm -hmm. Philip Fricasse wrote My Biggest Terror Ah. a while back when he wrote a book called, I think it was Fragile Dreams. Mm -hmm. And it's about a dude who he's in an earthquake and then he ends up being trapped under tons and tons and tons of rubble. Okay. And the whole the whole story takes place down there under that rubble. Literally, mm-hmm. the most claustrophobic environment I've ever read in a story. Right. And that's what would happen to me. That would do it. Question. Yep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what about you, Rich?
0: Gotta be
2: aliens. I don't really? know. Yeah, I I I was obsessed with aliens. I still am. I'm not as scared of them now, but man, we're not. You won't be storming Area 51 this weekend? <laughs> Absolutely not. Like, I I used to read these books when I was younger, like all those true accounts about the hills and, you know, Roswell. Right. The creepy shows on the History Channel with the weird voiceovers. And, Votes? man,
1: I would have to tell you that that would be my second after really crime. That stuff scares the shit out of me, too.
2: Oh yeah, when I was younger, I would read these things and read them until all hours of the night, and I would get so terrified. Like even if it was the dead of summer and like 90 degrees, I would pull the sheets like up <laughs> over my head
1: with my face peeking out. <laughs> <laughs> when my wife goes out of town, um, as she does every once in a while, she's actually fixing to go out of town here in a couple of weeks. You know, I will, you know, stay up a little later, and I'll get on the TV and hunt through Amazon prime for all sorts of alien shit to watch because she won't like she doesn't like to watch that kind of stuff and then I'll get myself so creeped out by the time I go to bed <laughs> oh yeah and see that That's stuff so... doesn't even phase
0: me really faze me. yeah not at all i I'm, I'm, I'm terrified of people and man-made things they well, scare the yeah. hell out of me you know I think we're so people are so inept that anything they build is bound to kill somebody eventually <laughs> <laughs>
1: well I I kind of share your lack of faith in humanity, unfortunately.
0: (laughs) I'm sorry. I apologize for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, I totally get that. But, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Talk to me in a couple weeks. Well, actually, when we talk uh, in a couple weeks about uh, book two, I will have spent a couple of days here by myself watching Alien stuff. So we'll talk again.
0: (laughs) I just made a note
1: about that, so we yeah. will be talking about that. <laughs> that <laughs> um, sounds good.
0: Now, uh, do you have anything else you want to tell us about the book? Tell it not us, but people who
1: are listening. Um, you know, I would say as you read through book one, uh, pay attention to Adam and what's going on with Adam. There's only a couple of chapters with Adam in them, but, you know, I think I, you know, Adam is not the main character of the book, but he is an important person to the story and to the unfolding of the story and to the nuts and bolts of the story. So I would say pay attention, be very close attention to him.
0: Um, and, yeah, like you say, he's not in there very much, but... It- When he is in there, it does feel very important to the story. So I can see how that would be.
1: Yes. And, uh, yeah, I will be very, there's big things that are happening in book two uh, that I will be very, (laughs) I'll be very excited to talk with you guys about.
0: Um, and, yeah, we will be very excited to read that damn thing. Tony teased us last night with the possibility <laughs> of actually having
1: it someday. Yeah. He
0: um, is, I said he's tomorrow. <laughs>
1: putting, yeah. He's putting the finishing touches on the ARCs for book two. So, uh, yeah, I, I will be excited for that to get out to the, you know, the lucky individuals who are going to get it uh, before you know, it goes on general sale and to hear what they think of where the story has gone. Um, I'm so stoked for this next book, John. It's, I, I can't
0: believe how much I'm anticipating and craving this thing. <laughs>
2: oh, same here. Cause I didn't know like when it would come like every day when I get home from work, I would like check through the mail <laughs> hoping it was sitting there.
1: Well, I, you know, as a writer who does most of the stuff, you know, in his own little space every day, I find that kind of reaction to to stuff that I've written to be extremely gratifying. So that's uh, that's great.
0: OK, well, um, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap this up, John. Um, okay. It's always, always, always a pleasure to talk to you.
1: And I hope to uh-huh. do much, much more of that going forward. Pleasure is um, all mine, guys, really. And it was when, a blast. We yeah. need to
0: get to, we need to get together and drink heavily someday.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That would be uh, great.
0: Um, so but we'll go ahead and let you go. I don't want to spoil the hell out of your story. And if we keep talking, <laughs> that's where we're going to go.
1: Probably. I've had a um, gigantic tumbler of gin and tonic tonight. So uh... <laughs>
0: I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'll go ahead and let you go. We will talk to you next time. You'll probably be see, seeing me Uh, screaming about book two online a lot (laughs) here soon. Okay. Um, Right on. Take care, John.
1: Okay, take care, guys. I'll talk to you.
0: Have a
1: great night. Bye, you too.